Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. This week's kind of special, because I'm welcoming back Samora Smallwood, an actor you may know from Shadowhunters The Mortal Instruments, The Expanse, and most recently Star Trek Discovery, or from this very podcast where she tackled Martin McDonough's three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri last spring. Now, Samora's back to talk about another very recent release, uh, one she messaged me about as soon as she saw it and said, I have to do this on the podcast. The follow-up to Peel's Oscar-winning Get Out, Us stars Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, and Evan Alex as the Wilsons, a perfectly normal American family whose beach house getaway is shattered by the arrival of menacing versions of themselves, dressed entirely in red and carrying very sharp scissors. We can't really discuss us without delving all the way into the plot, so please make sure you've seen the movie before listening to this episode. Like, pause this now and go watch the film. Do it right now. Pause it. Did you watch it? It's good, right? Now we can begin. This is someone else's movie. I know, as soon as I saw the movie, I was like, oh, this is one we've got to talk about, this film. Um, because the last time I was on, we talked about a movie that came out around the time of Jordan Peele's first film. But I was yeah, so yeah, it was excited. A, it was around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it? that yeah. year. Yeah. Three Billboards. Yeah, but that had such an interesting story. I love that director and the Francis McDormand character. So I was like, you know what, okay. But we got to. Us is like crazy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I have only seen it the once. Uh, I'm waiting for the Blu-ray. It should show up any day now. And I'm looking really looking forward to, to getting back into it. But it was... Well, we'll get we'll we'll go deeper into it, obviously. But I, like for me, it was about five sixths of a great movie. Mm. I just think the to jump to the ending. I just think it's one of those things where he explains too much and, at the end or at the beginning. Uh, at the end, mm. and once it's it's that thing that some of it felt a little on the nose for me with well, the ha- the tethered hand holding at the end. That was a bit... when you need it. Yeah, when yeah. it when it feels you. Hmm. I think the. F- I think the movie would have been perfect, really, if it was 20 minutes shorter and just didn't have the exposition. Fair. The flashbacks, I get, at the very end, you need it for the sting. And obviously, for people listening, please see us, because we're going so, to... So, so, so good. Yeah, so we're going to recommend seeing. it very highly. We're also going to talk about it uh, to such a point where you're going to be mad at us for spoiling it if you don't... I tried see. not to do too much... Well, that's tough. You know, yeah. I'm weird about the spoilers, so I, especially like as an actor. Like, there's a, there's a time period where I respect the non-spoilerishness sure, yeah. of it. But I mean, then, you know, I wrote the whole review without. I don't think I discussed anything past the first fifteen minutes, really. And that that's like that's my rule. I try not to. Yeah. I don't want to spoil the experience of a movie for people. I want to tell them what it feels like to see it. Yeah, and speaking of enthusiasm, your enthusiasm always comes through in your reviews. So you do a solid to the films well, that you like when they're good. Sure. <laughs> yeah, when they're good. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that. I think the the nightmare quality of it in the first 90 minutes is way more satisfying to me than the here is why this is going mm-hmm. on resolution. And, you know, you think about the way M. Night Shyamalan does his stuff where it's now become incredibly obnoxious that he does the info dump at the very end and shows you exactly all these things. Well, this is why this is happening. It's like, I, 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 didn't I know his last film. Oh, Glass. Yeah. yeah. That was not good. I love the actors in that, though. But sure. Yes, it was, yeah. 
That's yeah. too bad. No, it's it's um, you see everybody doing their absolute best to sell this thing that they've been given, and yeah. then it, it because of how insistent he is as a filmmaker that you appreciate his genius. He just blows it all over again. That's such a good way of you know, putting look it. Look at my incredible story craft. Well, that's that's kind of dumb, actually. <laughs> um, it's it's the thing that James Cameron does that that he doesn't stumble on, which is that he has these outlandish premises and then he grounds the humanity of every character i mean even even avatar which is just an excuse for 3d cg fight scenes by the time you get to the fight scenes you're reasonably invested in the good you or at least you know who the good guys and bad guys are yes um glass is just m night Shyamalan saying oh it's going to be so good and then when it finally happens it's like that was great right no no the actors i liked and i appreciate their um commitment to the performances but no but speaking of humanity that's one of the best that's one of the things i love most about jordan peele as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. and yes there's a little bit of spelling out at the end but i think whenever you have like such lofty goals of like talking about like social inequality and some of the themes that he wants to that he's very passionate about from his point of view that happens i don't know Maybe it's because he wants to make sure it's not lost on anyone. Because I know when we had very animated conversation, me and my friends, um, when we went to go see it, it's like that thing where some people want to look at it just for entertainment value, just as a horror film, did it, and then other people see it completely for what he's doing. And he said like oh, yeah. everything is intentional. Oh, I, yeah, no every question. single thing is intentional. So don't think that I'm just like making a movie. Yeah, I mean, even just the VHS tapes next to the TV at the very beginning, the sort of laundry list of films he clearly loves. I, mean, I know. All horror movies, all from the early 80s, he wanted to put them there to tell us not just the era that the the sequence is taking place in, but what kind of movie this is going to be. Mm. He uses the, the, what is it, Santa Clara, right? Yeah. The uh, boardwalk from The Lost Boys. Oh my gosh, totally. There's all those little Easter eggs. And and that's why I think it's important for people, especially who are listening, if they've only seen it once, you see it again. Mm. Because you catch so much more. You're like, oh, wow, that. I get it. Um, And it's crazy because he has a tricky way of like, Taking something that seems completely safe and then scaring the shit out of you with it. Like the movie opens with like the rabbits. And yeah, yeah, it's like row upon row of all these rabbits in cages. So of course there's some sinister stuff bubbling under the surface, which I want to talk about that too. And I think that one of his deals is to always be looking beneath the surface, even coming from Get Out. It's like what looks this way, look a little closer. Um, And it's funny because... Of course, you see the bunnies and they give you that. They're synonymous with experimentation and kind of takes you into the path of what the film's going to be about. But he has this really cool interview where he talks about rabbits. And he's like, rabbits are lovable and adorable. And he's like, but have you ever been close up to one? Their eyes are showing the brain of a sociopath. <laughs> and he's like, and that's apparently he held this rabbit. And since then, he got he couldn't get it out of his head that if you put that brain into a human, you've got Michael Myers. And there's... interesting. Have you been close to a bunny? I knew I knew a friend who had... I had a friend in high school who had rabbits. Yeah. Bunnies are okay. I never really bonded with any of them. Oh my God. They're actually terrifying. <laughs> my sister's friend has like a bunny group. A squad of bunnies mm-hmm. that live in her house. She, they have their own room, okay? This okay. girl's done well for herself. They, her bunnies have their own room. They've taken it over or she gave it to them? She gave it to them. They okay. all have beds and climbing stuff. But when she was out of town, she asked my sister to bunny sit, and I happened to be at home for a visit, and we went to go do it. But these bunnies are those massive ones that have those huge ears and oh, big old yeah. feet. And when they don't, they they didn't know me, and they wanted to let me know that I don't know you, and you're in my house. And they lift up off the ground, and then, boom, they slam their feet into yeah. the ground. Boom! I think that's where that nickname Thumper comes from. Yeah, that's yeah. scary. I had never seen that behavior. Yeah, so I totally get what he means. Like, yeah, they're cute, but 
they'll turn on you. Yeah, they'll turn on you. <laughs> I saw the image as... I mean, it's disturbing the first time you see it in the, with the opening credits because you have no context for it, you don't know what it is, and then when you finally see it, it, spe- it spoke to me of, of breeding programs, um, which is presumably also how the tethered were created, which is that one, again, that one thing where it's like, I don't need to know mm-hmm. that there was a an industry behind this. Mm. I don't need to know that this was a government project. Mm. Just, just, they're there. That's the disturbing there. enough. Yeah. Yeah. And like, at the beginning too, when they kind of tell you about all those hidden underground tunnels mm-hmm. and transit systems. Which again, it's fine if they just rise up from nothing. If yeah. they just emerged and we don't know where they're going from. I mean, obviously you need it at the end because you need the story of the final switcheroo. Yeah. Which does work. And which is really the reason I want to see it again because I want to watch Lupita Nyong'o deal with repressed trauma from both sides of it that performance uh, that, is like again oh, and he's very good at that as well choosing a very good actor to root a film in its emotional resonance which really matters because get out without that actor daniel kaluuya in that role could have been a completely shitty film mm-hmm. same as this and it ha- you see it like it's a cool thing like endgame that was one of the smartest things John Favreau ever did is let's get these Oscar nominated and Oscar caliber actors into this film and people are going to care yeah. about CGI beasts hitting each other pretty yeah, much, yeah. right? The most important thing is when they take their helmets off. So let's focus on that. Yes. Yeah. And with her us, performance in this is like... Yeah, she's I mean, she's great. Everybody like everybody is great. This is the, the best use of Tim Heidecker in a movie in 10 years. I oh think. my God. So I, I was on edge just watching them all and you could tell they were having fun as an actor. That would be such a gift to play mm-hmm. that. Um, that was one of the best parts about seeing it again, watching her deal with all that stuff that you now know and looking for it throughout yeah, seeing yeah, how yeah. she weaves those two things together. Um, but actually the thing with the underground uh, transits and all that, to go back to what you were saying, doesn't didn't feel like out of place to me and for me it works because I think one of the things he talks about too and the whole what's beneath the surface is we live in such an over-informed society that we kind of are a little bit like arrogant and he's always sort of suggesting you don't know as much as you think you do beneath these Mm -hmm. surfaces there's more going on and why are there these tunnels and what were they used for so for me it's like opening that eerie kind of a story like you see the bunnies and you hear about this these transits so I'm already I've bought in like there's something I don't know and let's find out what that is so that I like that but yes I don't I don't think we need to go into there was a couple of sequences at the end that felt a little bit over the top well just yeah I mean it's unnecessary exposition even though it's very I'm nodding my head I forgot we're not on camera yes that's alright it's elliptical you're allowed to make inferences and and just sort of pick up things from the from the images that were being given but yeah I mean do we need to know that the escalators are there do we need to know how deep this thing goes and if so then doesn't it make it even more unlikely that the tethered version that Red would have gotten up in the first place to, to pull the switch in 1987 and that stuff doesn't matter. Like, it ultimately... I don't need to know the mechanics. I just need to know that they're there, that they're real, and we have to deal with them. That's... that's Weirdly enough, that's the, the Stephen King element that has always worked best for me, where the ones with scientists are always just... There's an extra hundred pages that no one cares about. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. Firestarter, we don't need to know about the drug tests. The movie takes it all out, right? It's five minutes. It's a straight line. Focus on the kid. She doesn't understand what's happening to her. That's more interesting. Um... And uh, um, Carrie, too. It just happens. There's no cause. There's no reason. And 
I used to go to garage sales with my grandparents when we were little, and there was a huge box of all of Stephen King's books. Yeah. That was too good of a deal to pass up. So <laughs> me and my grandmother were like, we got to get this. Neither one of us really. But I spent that summer when we were kids, we were so lucky to go home to Newfoundland for, for months at a time. And I... I should not have done it, but I read them all. And that was a sleepless summer. I'll That's tell you. Oh my God. Terrifying stuff. Yeah. But the escalator, yeah, that was so strange. You know, those some of those little those mm. visuals reminded me of um The Shining. Okay. Yeah. Some of the glamour and the glitz of an sort empty, of unused place. Merciless function kind of stuff. A too, forgotten or... place where there was once and even a little bit I think like lost in Oh yeah, the hangar. Yeah, where there the was a big the government idea to do something big and good with this place and it's mm. since it's still got its veneer but it's since gone astray that for me visually was what i liked about it but yet the escalator bit and then the whole sequence after that i don't think the story suffered at all if they cut that yeah i'd be curious to to know whether he and hopefully it'll be on the on the blu-ray and oh, the yeah. commentary track and stuff. some of my favorite stuff but i would be curious to know whether he wrote it after the fact and you know he worried that it wasn't sufficiently explained so he added this stuff or if that was the hook for him all along that he wanted to tell this story because of the structures and things that he'd created to tell it it's it's you know again it, the the experience of the movie is really small this is why i keep thinking about Shyamalan too because it's his specialty focus on a family in a situation in a small space or mm-hmm. you know an apartment complex or mm-hmm. a village he doesn't do big he's never done big uh, Signs is the one that I kept thinking of because Signs is a film about an apocalypse happening all over the world. It's an alien invasion, but we really only experience it through such a good movie. These four people on this farm, and we see what they see, we learn what they learn, but we know nothing else. And Us does that for ninety minutes, mm. and it's great. Mm-hmm. It's just that is just the the sequence of um, this handful of and again, it's four characters, mm-hmm. right? It's a handful of people acting opposite themselves. And playing a massive story with colossal implications for the rest of the world, which we're completely unaware of. As far as we know, for the first 70 minutes, it's just this house. It's just these people. Mm-hmm. And it gets even more unnerving when you realize it's not going to stop there. Yeah, and then uh, the little is, clues that he gives yeah. with the boat and the whole sequence. When I saw it again, mm-hmm. that's when I realized, oh, okay, the, the dad, the Gabe character going out on the boat. The world gets a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. And when they're on the beach, a little bit bigger. And it's always with water. There's something a little bit bigger. Um, Hopefully, like, Jordan Peele, I love him. I don't feel that um, I'm a genius, look at me thing that I get from some of M. Night Shyamalan's movies now, but Mm. I used to be a really, really big fan of his. Of Shyamalan's? Yeah. Yeah, oh, me too. I think the first first three films are great. And then I'm... I'm willing to... The signs with the whole War of the Worlds feeling. I love that, like... What we don't know and yeah, how scary and Six it is. Sense is solid. Unbreakable's great. Unbreakable's, Unbreakable's like a, so good. It looks so much better in retrospect now that we've had split in class. Uh, I'll even fight for Lady in the Water because it's. I mean, it's incoherent, but it's Ambitious. fascinating. Yeah, right? yeah. Like you're in it while you're watching it. Um, you're just totally in its world, and then it ends, and you're just well. well hang on a second. That was insane. That was. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. And why does M. Chandler think he's going to be the one who writes? Eh, it's fine. It's fine. Peel. I think simply by removing himself from the story, from the goings on, he—he's not a face in it. He doesn't. He could have easily used his own celebrity to, to write himself a role or put himself in to get out at least and just sort of help sell the film that way. But 
by staying behind the camera and letting his wit come out through the scripts. You know, we know no one else could have written these things. But That's one of the things I love most about it and his voice is that you do know no oh, one yeah. else could have. I wonder if like, maybe he's just getting it out with the Twilight Zone and he doesn't need to worry so much about doing it in the other stuff. And have you seen the Twilight Zone? Not yet, no. It's pretty smart. Is it's, it? It. They don't all live up to the standards of his films, uh, mostly because he's not the one writing them. Either. Yeah. But between Twilight Zone and, and another show, uh, Weird City, that he produced with one of his Key and Peele writers, whose mm. name escapes me, for YouTube Premium, he's doing that kind of dystopian uh, knitting together a whole anthology series around a concept rather than around a, na- uh, a narrative or a, mm-hmm. or a single hook. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of episodes of Twilight Zone that are just as good as anything. There's an episode called Replay with Sonalathon as a, a woman with a camcorder who can... Re- the, the camcorder can rewind time. Oh, right. Uh, but, I read something about yeah, this. Because this is a Jordan Peele concept. Um, specifically... Her attempts, it revolves around her using the camcorder or attempting to use the camcorder to save her son from police brutality. So it's really charged. And it's the, it was, I think, the third episode that they aired. And it's the one that feels the most um, electric for what Jordan Peele would do with The Twilight Zone. Exactly. A lot of the other stories aren't specifically about... Issues. Well, yeah. There, there are contemporary twists, like uh, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet has Adam Scott listening to a podcast on a flight... And it turns out that the podcast is about the flight he is on and how it disappeared, which is ingenious. Wow. I much, love him, yeah. too. He's such a nuanced actor. He's, he's really grown into a fine actor, hasn't he? Yeah, he's really, really good in this, too. Um, and it's just this sort of mounting paranoia. And it's one of the shorter episodes, so it doesn't ever stay as well. Fabulous. It's That's such really a scary smart. concept. My heart's, like, pounding thinking yeah. about that. Can you imagine how that would be if you were on your flight listening to your podcast and it's like, oops. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm going to watch that. About my own disappearance. It's, uh, yeah, it's very smart. But, but the... The replay episode, and then there's another one about um, uh, the first mission to Mars called Six Degrees of Freedom, uh, which is about people, you know, a handful of astronauts escape basically a global apocalypse. They they choose to launch rather than stay on the launch pad and die. And it's about whether or not the trip to Mars is worth it if they're the only ones going, mm. and just about the time that passes and the limitations that... Mm-hmm. are necessary and, and how one of them becomes convinced it's a simulation and there's really no proof of that and it's interesting yeah, it's the good it's the good kind of twilight zone feeling but you could see that playing out as a peel feature as well because it's got his fascination with interpersonal dynamics and how both us and get out sort of turn on these moments of awkwardness that characters are aren't sure they're interpreting properly mm-hmm. and, and who and trust yeah and trusting yourself exactly and trusting what you see in the world there was an Amazon series with Julia Roberts that had a kind oh, of... Oh, Homecoming. No? Very good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, I liked it a lot. Very good. Canada, Toronto's own Stefan James. Really good in that. Yeah. Um, we had him on the cover of Now for it, actually. Yeah. Uh, back in December. That was um, good. And again, short episodes, which I think is smart, that's true. right? Yeah. Whole uh, thing's five hours long. Yeah. I watched it in one night. I was in the tub. I watched like four of them. And I just <laughs> couldn't stop. I had to watch them all. Um, it's crazy because... That's the thing that I like a lot about Jordan Peele's work is he has a way of touching on really important issues, and he's a, so tuned in his audience is unreal. Like he knows exactly what they want to know and feel, and then he has a good way of inviting people who are not a part of that group mm-hmm. in to watch um, and get out. And also in this, you don't. There's two sides, the duality thing. There's two sides of this conflict, mm-hmm. but 
there's a moment in both where you empathize with both of those sides and you understand both of those points of view, which he's really, really good at doing. Um, but he has that way of exploring kind of issues in a way it doesn't feel dull, it doesn't feel too heavy, it doesn't feel boring, and you never feel preached to. You're just there for the entertainment value yeah. of the fun. Like, sure, you the theme, say there's a theme of duality in this film, which there totally is. Sure. Um, but there's fun horror ways that he explores it, right? Like the two bunny ears, the two scissors, the two doppelgangers. Um, and the, even the way they do their trailers is so, so interesting. Yeah, um, I didn't see them. I managed to miss... Well, miss. I try not to see trailers anyway. I managed to avoid the trailers for both films until after I'd seen them. And, you know, with Get Out, it's just such an efficient, intelligent... Here is the hook. Here is another thing that doesn't make any sense, but is very disturbing. We're just going to run these things together. And now, Lakeith Stansfield is very upset. That's all you get. That's all you get if you want to know why these things are happening. Oof, you have to see the film. Totally. It's just great storytelling. And with us, it's much more sort of baroque and elaborate with the music going in and he's just he's selling the experience of it rather than the plot of it Mm -hmm. and it's yeah I didn't even I honestly I can say this I truthfully can say this I did not even know it was about doppelgangers until I saw the film interesting Uh, and then so who did you think those people were in the trailer didn't see the trailer oh right you Um, said you avoid them so why do you avoid trailers well, basically for that very reason. I don't want to think about how stuff I've seen is going to fit into the movie fair, that fair, I'm fair. watching. So A lot of movies get trashed that way. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's fun to, to go back and look at something like I think the Endgame trailers were all the first 20 minutes of the movie. There's nothing else from the rest of the film. You don't even glimpse stuff. And that's how you should handle that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Because I just... Some of them you see and you kind of know what, especially if you're an avid film watcher. Oh, yeah. Or if you're in the industry. Well, you some of them really ruin it. You learn to recognize tropes. You learn to recognize hero shots and, you know, big, big action sequences. Yeah. And, I know, and sometimes the CG look... Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, yeah. But I'm an action fan, so I'm always going to bore with a Marvel thing. But sure. you gotta, you got to keep it fresh. you got to give me a story and you got to have um, some action. But I am much more of a fan of, like, a character story. And interpersonal relationships, mm-hmm. and I love a story that puts people against the wall and like put their backs against the wall. And then what are they going to do? Yeah, which again brings us back to Jordan Peele because he understands <sighs> that the most the most effective thing you can do is lock in on a, on a person's face in a crisis. Oh my gosh! And his use of close ups, and because he has you know Winston Duke and and Lupita Nyong'o and these incredible expressive performers. Uh, it works. It works every time. I, I mean, know. just the use of, of Elizabeth Moss. Too. Oh my gosh. She's such a good actress. Yeah, and there's so many of those good tight little shots in the little closet with um, Pluto and, and Jason. Mm-hmm. Right? And, the, and, the, and the, the lighter. The lighter thing, yeah. That's a whole thing. That's a whole vibe. And he, one thing I really love that he does is he takes something that is familiar, even nostalgic to the audience member, and makes it scary. Mm-hmm. We all remember that being tucked away in the closet and there's always going to be that one cousin or maybe it was you who starts to tell a scary story while you're in there or says bloody mary while you're in there and turns it so that's what i really love and it's funny because he was saying that about the scissors too they were like why did you choose the scissors as the weapon of choice and he goes because i'm obsessed with the intersection of the mundane and the terrifying yeah you know because that's so true a beach house or the pier and and the that vision quest thing like we all like it and again, wow, another little connection to The Shining, for the maze. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Something that we all like a little challenge, but then there is that lingering 
fear of, am I going to get lost and be able to find my people again? Exactly. What if you can't get out? What if I can't get out? What happens when I'm trapped in there? Um, It's so funny because uh, he kind of takes you on the path in the film. You see the bunnies. You see the experiment. You know something's gone on. And then you hear about the underground tunnels. You know something scary has gone on. And then you're kind of... You know that there's an unknown that's going to be explored. And then he takes you into his real mission of the film, in my opinion at least, which is to talk about social inequality and class inequality and how that's going to affect the rest of the story and where we're at kind of as a society. Which is crazy because, you know, he got a lot of... Not a lot of flack, but people kind of have pointed out in the community, oh, well... How can Jordan Peele's married to a white woman? Um, and there's this thing that's so it's such a tired kind of a conversation, and for me too, being biracial, where you're either not black enough or not white enough, and what does that even mean? And yeah. who are you to be a spokesperson for a community if you're married to this white woman or if you're half white? Mm. Well, Peele um, is also biracial, right? Isn't I don't know, is he? I thought that was the whole... Nice. Okay, so then that even further cements that whole thing that people feel... Sometimes people feel like you can't be a spokesperson, you don't know, but he does. Right. And of course, both of his movies are about outsider um, invasions or intrusions. Uh, in, in, in Get Out, it's the black man who's the outsider who is surrounded, and, and the point is that they're trying to absorb him, but in this new community, he's literally going to be harvested. Uh, and in Us, it's about an underclass an entire literal underclass rising up to supplant the people on top. And it's not... Uh, it's not goosebumps when you said it like that. Jesus Christ. It's not racially based, which is what's so clever about it. It's totally. a universal experience. But it is definitely about the other. And for someone who presumably has felt on some level like another most of his life, in any situation... Totally, I did not make that connection at yeah. all. Because that's exactly how it is. Like, I think he gets that anxiety. It's it's a real thing because when you're little, like my mother's the one who was like, you got to read Toni Morrison, you got to read Bell Hooks, James Baldwin. That's how I fell in love with that. And then there's a you that you are. Like I said, I would go home for summers in Newfoundland. Yeah, so yeah. there's that. There's by the campfire. Everyone's got a fiddle, and there's the folklore and the storytelling of the Newfoundland community, which is not unlike the black community. And then also going to Detroit and seeing my cousins over there and who you have to be and not necessarily fitting in and having to earn that place in that group and then everyone accepts you and then you're absorbed into the group totally wow i'm so glad you told me that because that makes so much more sense but the class thing is one of my favorite favorite things because me i'm I'm an activist and i can be very political sometimes it goes i i'm always thinking about serious things kind of i think the issue yeah in the world really is a class issue not um so much a race issue and i think that's the conversation, the awkward conversation that he starts with the film, that if we had, maybe there would be a different U.S. president if people understood that that divide of people is along those class lines. It's crazy because the tethered definitely represent the tethered. And, and for those who maybe have not seen the film yet, they're the doppelgangery kind right. of characters in the film, the twins. Um, they represent that less privilege in the society, the what if. What if I had had more access or more opportunity or more privilege? Who could I have been? Yeah. And then we get to come up stairs up top and see like who you could be and you see it in such eerie little ways like when abraham comes and takes the glasses off gabe's face and puts them on or when the elizabeth moss chick gets in the mirror and she sloppily puts on the lipstick she doesn't know how to do it neatly but she almost does it's yeah it looks like it's a sense memory thing which it would be right if she'd been mining the whole concept of this is that these people have been living literally living our lives uh 
underground in seclusion totally passively with oh. no yeah with no control which is which is again the thing that I don't want the explanation for I just it's enough that they're revolting yeah. it's enough that they've decided enough is enough that for whatever reason and yeah we find out there's a whole I guess a Spartacus person who's led them to who's who's rallied them and made them an army even though I don't know that that makes any sense it doesn't matter emotionally it makes sense it plays um, but no it does not matter no yeah I, it's just so much more disturbing the idea that there are people outside and you can't see their faces and once you can see their faces it makes it worse and totally the, the sense that they don't have language in the way that we do although they are clearly communicating mm. and that that was fascinating realizing that this, the noises that I think it's mostly through Tim Heidecker's uh, tethered that we understand that he's actually saying things mm. and then you cut back to Abraham who starts to make more sense mm. um because we've sort of learned how the Heidecker's vocalizations sort of taught us how to listen. And I think it's clearly intentional that that's the scene where it's so disorienting, it's so disturbing, it's the first time we realize it's happening anywhere else. And so we pay closer attention because we're looking for more detail, and that's how, that's how Peel slips in the information. And that stuff is just beautiful storytelling. Just absolutely nightmarish, but elegant Oh, totally. And the fact that, like... Those the Tylers represent they're completely one hundred percent the upper class, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, affluent, but they don't care. Uh, yeah, money. They're just money's always been there. Um, it's yeah, they're walking away privilege. They're absolutely and, and again, that's perfect casting for Tim Heidecker because he can do that oblivious, entitled thing so well. I know, and yeah, and, and still remain like you're interested in him. I like you. Yeah, he's not mean. No, he's just no. That's totally. That's very, very important to get the audience on board. Yeah. Um, and then the Wilsons are like very middle class, and they've crossed paths in some way. Um, the the two wives. I can't remember Elizabeth Moss' character's name in the film. I want to say Ivy, but I know that's not right. Her, she and Adelaide. They went to school, and they have that whole little blase catch up at the beach. But I like that when we finally, what you were just saying about how the, the scene when we finally realize, okay, it's happening to other people, yeah. is in their gorgeous, gorgeous beach house. Like it couldn't be more beautiful. It couldn't be more of a sign of the haves. Yeah. And the, juxtaposed with a very. Um, simple and kind of quaint house that the the Wilsons have. Right, because they inherited that one. We're we're told very specifically it's Grandma's cabin or something. Yeah. That there's a reason that they have it. Um, They're not even... The kids aren't even crazy about going out to the beach. And Mm. Adelaide doesn't like it because... And it's darker. If blood were to spill there, you might not see it versus when we're in uh, the Tyler's home. It's it's all glass windows. And white. And you're going to see it all. Yeah. Beautiful use of Elizabeth Moss um, and that actor. I didn't know his name until you said it. Heidecker. Yeah. Yeah, no, really from, great. From Tim and Eric's awesome show. He's a, primarily a comedian and it's just. Which I think a, is important in this film. Yeah. He gets it. He does. Yeah. But it's such a great move on, on Peel's part to reach out to him too when it could have been, you know, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it was intimidating. You're going to be working with Elizabeth Moss, who's this incredible, dramatic performer who no one ever gives credit for comedy, but she is capable of it. Mm. And then to see her. Just the way the way she's introduced in the beach scene, and just this kind of—it's not a sneer exactly, but there's this thing she can there's do with a casual contempt, with that she can slide into her performances. Yeah, and oh, hundred percent. Everybody's especially perfect. on the drive to the beach. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, a little just bit of that tension, tension which all people we all understand. It's like work friends. Work, well, friends and people move ahead at different speeds, and then what access or privilege do you have? And then sure. there's that one upmanship thing going on with. Um, 
Gabe and uh, what's the what's his character's name? The real him. I did, oh, I couldn't. I can't remember. Anyway, in the car, they're kind of a little bit talking about that, um, and it's crazy because the inequality of the classes that Jordan Peele starts you off right at the film when we were talking about that scene where she's watching the uh, Helping Hands. Uh, hands across America. Hands across America. Basically, a stunt. Yeah. Right. It was where a terrible idea. A totally terrible idea. But you're watching, and then like, for me, I'm a little bit too young to have remembered oh, that. Oh no, no, I was. Yeah, so you kind of like... I remember it. It was dumb then, uh, but it was, it got a lot of coverage. It was this weird insistence. And I remember being like a teenager and going, well, hang on, the Badlands are going to kill people. There's no way you can do this. There's no way you can actually do this. But there were there were presentations and there were it was in magazines like well no here's the route we've actually figured it out we'll have water stations here and here and it was just this incredible ambitious stupid like late Reagan idea of oh demonstrating solidarity with and I don't even Which know what it was so I mean, it was it was a charity thing in the end but I don't know what it was. It was supposed to be to combat hunger and homelessness, right. which kind of the hypocrisy of having Ronald Reagan be a part of that and be a spokesperson for that people was not lost on people. They were like, "What yeah. the fuck?" And like, I think they raised thirty-four million, and only fifteen million went to the cause. So it was yeah, like a big, right. big, big mistake. But that's kind of as soon as you see that. Even though I had no real frame of context for it when mm-hmm. I saw it, of course I had heard of it. It was a big deal in in pop culture, so I knew and I thought interesting okay so that's what this is going to be about because we knew what get out was and you kind of had an idea what to expect going into this film knowing the type of filmmaker that he is Mm -hmm. and then i was like okay so i was on board and then we kind of move on to the santa cruz and the pier and adelaide's with her parents great casting on those parents too yeah um and she gets lost in that vision quest place which is so eerie because we've all been there like as a kid because i remember watching it and she wanders off and i thought Oh, she's gonna get kidnapped. Something bad's gonna happen, definitely, to this child. Are we gonna? Are we gonna? Yeah. Uh, what's gonna happen to her? Yeah, um, it's a great set piece too, and just one again, one of those things where he barely uses dialogue after she wanders away. It's all just about what she sees and how she sees it, and how we are shown from shot to shot how the space is getting smaller and smaller around and her. the camera comes down to where her child yeah. eyes would be you're seeing it big 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 for us so see the scope of it see how scary it is and then she goes in gets tighter and tighter until oh, yeah. we're right at eye level with her and that's when it gets super scary when you're in there with her at eye level it's just like and the funny thing is when I saw the movie I found myself saying get out <laughs> <laughs> I wanted her to just turn around yeah. why but kids don't do that they're so curious and it gets them into trouble all the time yeah um, but that sets the whole stage for that later untethering sure right and then that whole inequality keeps going when she's an adult and you see that she I mean once you meet her friends I think is when you really see it and there's so many little tiny notes of seeing that, okay, this is not... These are people who are thoroughly middle class. They are not social climbers, but they're working hard to get a better life for themselves. He's got the sweatshirt on, and they're talking, and they get it. And I especially love all the little touches that people who come from a family... Because there is that whole thing as you move up in society, there's a feeling within, say, the black community of, do you have to let go of your blackness to make it, to get to a certain place? And when they're trying to teach, she's trying to teach her son how to dance and to catch the rhythm of the song. And they're playing this very, like, hip hop kind of a song um, to this kid, a rap song. Um, I really liked uh, all of that. But when, so they go to the beach, they're talking, um... And she's just completely unnerved at that point, right? Because the whole incident happens with Jason at the beach, and she's really been traumatized and kind of got talked into going. She didn't want to go. Yeah. She did not want to go. And we're so... 
I just didn't get it. I was like, why? What's like, okay, you went into that little, I didn't, I didn't, hadn't connected it at all. But of course. We know what's coming, but he's good at keeping you right there on the edge of your seat. And then my, for me, one of my favorite parts of the film is that night when she finally reveals, they're back at their house, she finally reveals to her husband, Gabe, what happened and why she feels, she has a line, she says, um, I don't feel like myself. And it's that beautiful mirror for me of that imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. that so many people relate to. So it's a great way of n- not getting you fully into the story. You get a taste, but then you automatically relate to that imposter syndrome feeling of, especially when you're trying to climb up, like for wherever you're at in life, if you're an actor and you're trying to climb those rungs and get to the next good thing and the next big meaningful role, yeah. or if you're trying to go from middle class, which is very hard to do, and climb up, give a good life to your family, there's always that feeling of, am I good enough? There's somebody else who deserves it more. And then right before the people come, it's, is there somebody who deserves it more? And is there someone who's going to come and take it? Right. Which, of course, is if you are her and you've repressed, what, the first seven or eight years of your life, presumably, it, it's the, the layering of that reveal, which I think other people have, have said that they got it pretty early on. I did not. I'm, I'm happy to say I got it about two seconds before it dropped. It's Me like, too. There's that moment of oh shit we're doing this and it's it's beautifully structured to I mean, again i'm dying to see it a second time because i know what to look for but also because i know it's there i know mm-hmm. that peel will have put it there and that more importantly nyongo has put it there that there are things in her performance there just the i was immediately start thinking about the way uh the character identified as red struggles to speak and you ascribe a completely different structure to the way she's speaking and they're both valid but the tension that Nyong'o gives to Red physically the way she's always sort of holding herself now I see it I think back on those scenes and I see it as oh she's just she's trying not to leap across the table and murder this person it's not that she has you know she's she's awkward and physically weird because she's a tethered it's the the rage is like it's it's boiling up and her performance is one of the best parts about another viewing oh yeah i imagine and and then too realizing halfway through the film that the doubling was so effective that you stopped thinking about it uh but of course it is one actor giving both performances yeah it's just and everybody is on some level interpreting their characters twice but what she does is so instantly mesmerizing there's never a moment where you have trouble distinguishing them they're, which is, of course, incredibly ironic and clever, uh, that they're so distinct, even though neither of them is the person we think they are. Uh, again, if you're still listening, why are you still listening? Watch the movie, then come back. Yes, exactly, um, seriously. We can't help we you. Can't avoid. We can't avoid. <laughs> we can't save you. We can't avoid a spoiler. It's got to come out. But the, the performance is so... The performances, plural, are, are so considered and thoughtful. Totally. And just, I mean, she is... She's wonderful. She can do anything she wants, but just this this incredible twinning thing that you know Tatiana Maslany does it in, in Orphan Black, and you get the the extra level there is that she had this running gag with the producers and writers that whenever a clone pretends to be somebody else, you get their impression, you get their version mm. of her. So oh well, this is how Kasima sees uh, Sarah, that kind of thing, and it becomes funny. But what Youngo and Peel are doing is creating fully lived impersonations, right? There are people who've been stuck in these roles for 20-odd years, Mm -hmm. and it makes it tragic as well as impressive to think back on it and 
realize just how much pain is going on. And even the person we know as Adelaide has guilt and um, this the other weird quirk, presumably, of having to learn an entire language as, a, as an eight-year-old. That totally explains why she you doesn't speak. You entirely see the, the guilt names. layer. It's all there. When yeah. you, especially when you rewatch it, because when you know what you know, and then you see all of her extra tries with the family and and the way she doesn't want to go at all, um, you get it. Yeah. You get it so much more um, after when you watch it. Um, and it's crazy because the whole tension that, that is built through the whole first part of the film totally boils over, obviously, when their house is home invaded by these doppelgangers. Sure. Um, so there's Red, who's the Adelaide mom character, Abraham, who's going to be the dad, uh, Umbre, I think I'm saying it right, the daughter character who mm-hmm. comes into play big time in the final act, and then Pluto, the kid who's so good. Yeah. Those two little opposites, I loved watching what that was and wondering why... Oh, the mask and the burns. And yeah, because as yeah. you came down, they were just so different, and Winston Duke is a fine actor. Mm-hmm. The way he creates those two characters, they're eerily similar, but he's not quite right. Yeah, they both have the same kind of triumphant strut at one point, which I remember just thinking, oh, that's nice, that that carried over. Yeah. It was just a way that, that obviously, they, they worked it in, Peel and Duke, but there's just this little moment when they're both kind of like, <clears throat> they push themselves up and just like, okay, I get this. You're actually selling the idea. Totally. This comic moment. Yes, exactly. That would be so great as an actor, such a good gift to work with a director like that and a, and a story like that because where are you going to put it? How are you going to yeah, do yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so you have to hold it back, right? You can't just drop it right away and then you beat it to death by reusing it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so when smart. does it come out? They are so smart and that's what I love about him so much. Um, so, okay, so they come in and then now we know as the audience, okay, here are these tethered i loved the way they introduced it too because they're in the dark they're in the dark you don't know you just know that the configuration is the same yeah they look like us but who are they and the way the dad kind of has to step into what is a traditionally male role and go figure out what it is and what's he gonna grab to defend them and such a silly way to go out there and try and and handle it like you know what i mean it's like one of those things where in a horror film i'll be right back jordan peele has kind of like made that moment a, a signature of his own in both yeah. films where there's that moment where the character is like, don't draw this line in the sand, man. <laughs> like, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Um, so we meet them. We know that, okay, we learn a little bit, but most of what we learn about them is in that last part of the film where we get a lot of specifics about them. Yeah. But mostly what we know is that, what do we know at that point? That they're identical kind of when they come into the living room, say they're in the house and they're faced off with this family. Yeah, well, they even literally arrange themselves. They take a moment to make sure they're in the right positions to mirror each other. It's so just, creepy. It's unnerving, yeah. It's, it's a precise so. behavior that we don't understand. Yeah, that totally. stuff's so simple, just so easy to make you understand that not only is this a threat, but they have a plan. That's the fucking scariest part. Yeah. They're a threat, but they have a plan, and then now we're remembering all the setup in the beginning and we're like okay this is because for me at that point I was wondering okay are they acting on their own behalf or is there somebody who has dispatched them right. and who who is in charge of what they're doing but very quickly and that's another thing I love about her performance that scene very quickly you start to understand that okay no, Red she's got the plan and that body posture and that ang- that rage is coming out there's something like you just know okay this is what I liked, too, about that scene is normally in those kind of home invasion scenes in a film, you know automatically, okay, everyone in this room who didn't come with the bad guys is going to die. Right. 
maybe one person's going to survive. Yeah, it's your standard horror. You know, there's a, there's a final girl, or it's the strangers where there's just carnage. I love that movie. Yeah. That's another scary one. I did not want to go outside after seeing the first <laughs> one of that. But yeah, in that scene, I didn't know. I couldn't tell because of the family aspect and because of the mirror of that, okay, here's this nice family, and they did that setup of showing, okay, they're working, they're striving, they're there for each other. Yeah. They've got this, this beach house, they're going to do this thing, and I thought, oh no, I don't know. If, there, if anyone's going to die or who's going to die or how. So I was, once again, totally sucked in to the story and I really wanted to know beyond what's the method by which they're going to die. But because of what we've come to expect from Jordan Peele, I'm like, okay, what's what's the what's the sneaky hook here? What yeah. are we going to find out about them? See, I knew, I suspected, not knew. I, I trust Peele to at least give his characters a fighting chance. Yeah, and, and after Get Out, it just feels like he's... Ultimately, he's kind of a warm-hearted filmmaker, and that's why one of the reasons that I liked his Twilight Zone is because they're not so insistently negative. Uh, they're not nihilistic in the way that Serling's show could be. Mm. They, some some of them end very, very badly, but others end with a sort of understanding or, or uh, a, a way of putting the story to peace, mm. you know, and just putting it to rest rather than having a great shock ending. Mm-hmm. And with Get Out, he gave us... Like, he sort of... He gave us himself he loves these characters too much to like chris doesn't go to prison chris gets his friend to come and save him because he's right that's what the material wants but it's also what jordan peele would do his like the comedy is just so kind-hearted and and with so when he introduces this straight horror story in us it's an all bets are off proposition but i was pretty sure he was going to spielberg it up and you know like the family would be if not protected they would work together and learn from each other, which mm. is what happens, except that the family's not the family, which is, again, just that God. beautiful sting in the script. Yeah, and it really hurts, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it yeah, like that. we're but... rooting for someone to succeed who ultimately doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I know. And that's crazy, too, because I remember uh, reading an interview that he was talking about how he sees it as a story of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, what? How? Oh, yeah. then more as I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, you know, it really is because we have to build empathy for both of them. Because once you know what you know, you are like, shit, I just have been rooting for this person. Yeah. And then um, you look at Red entirely differently. Yeah, the Tethered have legitimate grievances here. I mean, they're, they're, they're not wrong. No, they're not wrong. But the way they do things is so kind of messed up. Like, they're basically the vestiges of a failed experiment and they were left to rot down in this underground world and it kind of sucks and the crazy thing um when you see that when you know that then the rows upon rows of all the rabbit cages make a little bit more sense and me secretly low-key as a vegan i love that because (laughs) that's how it is in our world right like we don't care how it gets there like all the animals and the violence that happens towards animals to get our shampoos or to turn their flesh into food. We don't want to talk or think about it. Yeah. Oh, and, and rabbits are absolutely the first thing you think about experiments on. Oh, 100%. Animals. It's gnarly what happens. And, chemicals, yeah. and Jordan Peele will, at, will ask of the audience, maybe even demand of the audience to talk about or think about uncomfortable things. And what oh, yeah. I loved about after I saw Get Out and after I saw this is it was not simply conversations with my friends or other, my peers about the validity of the filmmaking or what we loved about the filmmaking we were encouraged to have those real conversations um and we did not fight whereas you watch a movie like get out and you're talking about some really serious issues and kind of hearkening back to slavery and no one's fighting um which happens a lot now especially in our current climate it's so annoying people are more concerned with being right 
and hearing each other's sides. Mm. So he's very good at that, creating these two sides that you can see, uh, you know, you know what's going on. And then you put those amazing actors in, in that part. Like there's even that part in, uh, in Get Out with uh, Bradley Whitford. That's his name? Yeah. And he kind of had all this pressure for his family to pass on this thing that whether he wanted it or not, he's going to do it. And he's such a fine actor. There's that moment where you think, okay, I, I don't like or, or empathize with what you've done. I have no compassion for you, but I understand what you're going through and yeah. what happened. So he's so, 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 so good at that. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, when uh, Tanana Reef Dude did the podcast and picked Get Out, she very patiently led me to the realization that Keener's character, Catherine Keener's character is the real monster because she married into this family and she's actually the one pushing harder. This yep. was a choice for her. Yep. She's, yes, yeah. 100%. That's the thing. And then you get that too. And then actually every time I watch Get Out since I've watched it three times, um, it's sadder and sadder. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's sadder and sadder once you know the implications, you remember the history, and she is the the bad one, and that comes through more and more every single time that you watch it, because there's a certain glee with which she yeah, does it. it's the sadism. And She's the casting it. is always on point. Catherine Keener is a fabulous actress, and you just see it. She's just desperate to get him in that chair and get with that tea. She's just got a mission, whereas... Yeah, yeah and then the kids, you kind of understand more for them. But yeah, so he forces you to think about this violence against animals and then also you start to see those barriers that socio-economy creates that make it acceptable for us to push marginalized groups out of sight. Sure. And out of sight, out of mind. The system is rigged to perpetuate the oppression on the weaker, to keep the wealthy wealthier, and keep the less fortunate in that position. And then once that idea is introduced and then you start to see the final stages of what's happening between the Red and the Adelaide character, that becomes so much more interesting once you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a stolen life um, story on one level, which is, you know, a story as old as they are. Um, but there's also, that, <clears throat> there's also that echo of um, a, a mother defending her family and the questions that are raised about who Adelaide is and who Red is are kind of secondary once the family unit stuff is established. I, I find that really interesting because you can argue that Adelaide stole Red's life, which she did, except that Red might not have made the choices that Adelaide made. These kids are Adelaide's. They're hmm. not... They don't belong to Red. The And Red has that speech about giving birth to a, a child that she didn't want or didn't understand which becomes so much more poignant in, in retrospect, but is also, I, it's so, yeah, it's so knotted up with the idea that our Adelaide has fought for all of this, has, has been the first of her kind to escape and, and to take on this life and to build this world for herself. And of course she would defend it as, as powerfully as she could, mm. but she knows she doesn't deserve it but what does that mean about the way she sees her kids who didn't ask for any of this and, and is that real and is of any course yeah, in where this... are the connections and how who do we root for it's just this incredible like you're on a you're on a table that won't balance itself for the second half of the film once you understand like going back thinking it through i'm still just all press i've only seen the movie once i'm dying to see it again but i know see you'll see it again and you'll see so because hard. it just hits you it's so much there? harder the whole oh my god yeah, yeah it's in there oh, and i swear i would love to have been a 
in the in on those conversations when they talked about the crafting of the red and adelaide relationship and her performances as each character because yes there is that feeling for upwardly mobile people of color especially Mm -hmm. in like going back to the different heat that martin luther king jr and coretta scott king would get dealing with trying to navigate this new world and what do you abandon what part of your your blackness or your community do you have to abandon to do these things um, and how they came under Coretta Scott King and Martin Luther King Jr. came under a lot of pressure when they were receiving monies and, and Nobel Prize, what about that money? What are you doing with it? And this intense scrutiny that people of color, when they are into access and they get access to certain groups that I don't feel like other people get. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, that, that scrutiny often comes from your own community. So for me, when you watch it again, you see even more that Adelaide is that representation of that. Right. What did you do to get this life? What did you have to sell out to get this life? Do you deserve it? Who do you leave behind when you do go into this life? Yeah. And what does it mean that Red is the one who's organized the uprising? And, and, in, and in, in, upstairs, yeah. yes, that relationship dynamic with the family is a little bit different. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, yes, because Red staged that uprising and brings them along. And are they passive? Is Yeah, Are they? that's what I mean. Are they just following her because she can command them somehow because she's from upside and and understands these things or is it simply that she's trying to bring it all down out of sympathy i mean if she's been down there for 20 odd years then she's is she sympathizing with them finally has she always sympathized it's it's one of those things where you you're dealing with someone who escaped profound trauma and someone who's thrust into it in her place and I'm yeah, just dying to see that performance again because, especially down below. Yeah, how do you articulate this stuff? I mean, she's literally struggling to articulate speech, even though, I guess it's just an unused muscle or something. Maybe she learned their language and figured out how to talk to them. But it's again, it's one of those things where if I know less of it, I would actually be more scared into it somehow. Yeah, because it's it's far more unnerving when you don't know why something's happening. Mm. It just is, but. The other thing I was trying to figure out, watching it the first time, once you're given the dump about the tethered and who they are and why they're there and this world that they've created for them, that someone has created for them, mm-hmm. is how far back it goes. It looks like it's got an institutional 60s kind of vibe. With the 70s, I was going to say, yeah. But yeah, there's no... I mean, does that mean it was a Nixon thing? Was it for Vietnam? It's That's the problem, right? You introduce a, a concept And there are like a lot of really big issues when it comes to the Vietnam War and all that. That makes yeah. sense. I didn't think of that. Were I knew that that's the time period. Soldiers? I Were they tra- but if that's the case, why are there children? Why are there families? Why are there units? Why does any of this happen? Some sort of experimentation was going on. I mean, yeah. you pull up that thread with U.S. history and all the different testing that was done on people of color and they didn't even know about oh, it. Oh, sure. The Tuskegee Airmen. Yes. Like, and, that was um, the 40s, right? That was World War Two. Yeah. And all the different fertility testing that was done on certain women who were then rendered infertile. And maybe that's the connection he's making with the rabbits because they're so breedy. Mm-hmm. They breed, 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 that breed. Was definitely something I was... And then, you know... Because nothing's on accident with Jordan Peele. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. I was was considering, there was a point in the film where I was thinking, trying to figure out if it was a a metaphor for slavery, which it could be, Mm. right? Because we don't know what the tethered do. We don't know what their purpose is. We just know they were brought into existence for some reason that was abandoned. But maybe it's about the legacy of um, the American ruling class and their lack of responsibility for the people who work for them. 
and not necessarily slavery, but just the service industry or any other kind of larger thing where people in power don't have to think about the way other people live because they're removed from it. Again, like Heidecker's character, he's just, this is his life, it always has been, Why why should he concern himself with the way other people feel? Except he's ultimately benevolent, and whoever created the tethered abandoned them. They're just left there. And there's something about a call to action, I guess, in terms of um, the next generation. Um, through Jordan Peele's eyes, like you see the different, um, the generational gaps in Get Out, but also in this film too, there's something to be said about that final showdown with the children of both the families, yeah. and that it happens on the second floor of the house, and it's the showdown between the kids, where there's that terrifying moment when those twins emerge, is, and you yeah. are like... Oh, that's right. Things are worse now. Yeah, exactly. And what are we about to see? And what are these kids going to have to do? And they rise the fuck up to that challenge. Yeah. And And Spielberg, right? It's Jurassic Park. It's The Lost World. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. And it's just so exciting because sometimes the films are formulaic, but when you're in the seat as an audience member for what you've come to expect from Jordan Peele, you know that you don't know anything. So that's terrifying. I love it when you keep getting scared again and again in these movies, and not just because of a building tension, but new things yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, keep getting introduced, which is so great. And like, one of the craziest parts for me that I like, I was actually crying the second time. The first time I was too totally engrossed in what was going on, sensory overload. But the second time made me cry when, because um, Lupita Nyongo, she talks about a little bit of her process as an actor on developing that voice. And figuring out how she was going to sound. Yes. Yeah. Did you see that? I've, I don't know if I've actually seen her clip, but I remember there was a, an immediate backlash to it when she talked about sourcing it from people um, who had had trauma, speech therapy, and, and yeah. Yeah, there's always going to be some type of backlash. I thought that that was cool that she rooted it in something real. Yeah, it seemed like the reasonable thing for an actor to do. Yes, 100%. What else do you do, right? You you feel totally like an imposter trying to pull something out of nowhere and you have a responsibility, especially when you know the different um, themes that Jordan Peele's going for, right? And just him being unabashedly a a filmmaker of color and saying, I'm going to make my leads black always and not arbitrarily so right that's important so that's a big burden on her and i respect that part of the process but the line that uh, red has to adelaide um you could have taken me with you yeah so haunting no it's shattering it really is especially in light of everything we've just seen uh everything we've been informed about everything we've come to understand about the relationship between the two why wouldn't she? There, like that is that is absolutely. I literally, I literally wrote that down. Yeah. Like, you could have taken me with you. What could that have been? Like if you turned around and grabbed onto her and you took her with you and you just emerged and there were two of you. What would your parents have done? Mm. Surely they would have taken her in as their own. Yeah, I mean it would have. I mean also it's that science fictional level of storytelling that us isn't ready to deal with because it is so small and concentrated. But it would have exploded the whole thing. You just you'd retrace steps. You'd find the you'd find the escalators. You'd find the tether. You'd, all of this stuff would have come to light, which is why it couldn't happen. Right? Mm-hmm. But it makes it even more tragic when you understand from the screenwriter's position that this is where it had to go. But this story, like that, a child's logic would lead that resentment to build for twenty odd years. And the reason we're watching all of this happening now is because of anger and because of a, of a child's rage at, at a completely reasonable rage 
right? She is justified completely 100%. in all of this. 100%. And that's the crazy part because that brings you back to that whole theme of duality and gives it that emotional resonance. He's so good at that yeah, yeah. that as soon as you hear, okay, you could have taken me with you, then you're like, oh shit, what might she have been? What yeah. could she have been with the right... And then that's when Lupita Nyong'o's performance matters so much more to you. You're yeah. just like in awe of what she's done in giving you this compassion and empathy for both of their point of view. And one becomes almost like the other. You don't know how to feel it. I really didn't know how to feel because the system does turn us against each other time after time. You see it in political elections. You yeah. see it all the time that it always leads to one tragic end after another tragic end. And yes, of course, you know that yeah, what would it have been like? And then the great thing there is you're encouraged as the audience member to wonder what would that movie have been like yeah. if she had taken her with you and then you do find the escalator and you do find out what's down there. Like, what happens then? Because that's the brilliance of Jordan Peele asking you to look beneath the surface. Because you've got this veneer of faux goodwill. But there's something very sinister and mm -hmm. evil right underneath the surface. And what I like, too, about it is... And you know what's so crazy is... At that climax, when she they have that moment, Red and Adelaide, the moment that all of you need to see this film, go see it or look it up. It's coming out in two weeks. Uh, it'll it'll be out by the time this when comes. this airs. It I'm will actually be out. I'm waiting for this for the film to become available before I put this out because that would just be mean. Yeah, that would be mean. And then you'll he listen to this. You'll be so intrigued, and you're gonna go watch it. Why haven't you watched it already? Seriously, but that moment, there's always that moment in his films. I feel like where no matter what side you fall on, whichever class you're in or whatever race you are there's that moment where you just like in get out when with the red light and the blue light is you're on the edge of your seat with chris desperate for it not to be what it, it appears to be yeah and in that moment same thing with them you're just like no this can't be what it is but that's the beautiful thing about the mind of jordan peele is that he takes these familiar horror concepts and subverts them so in get out you have like the possession um idea and then in this you have the home invasion which is terrifying because no one wants their home invaded sure. least of all by some scary ass version of yourself um but it's amazing but the cool thing is that it doesn't end you were like you were saying about the twilight zone episodes i'm really excited to look at them it doesn't end in a completely dark and hopeless place it does say things are not what they seem but if we with careful examination and reflection we can be better yeah if we're not killed by our doppelgangers. <laughs> we're not killed by a tethered that version. Is, that is the issue that no one really wants to confront in this, is that the tethered, although they are the aggrieved party and the victims, they are murdering everybody. Yeah. So by the time... And I, they're really bad. Yeah. But they don't, there's no moment there where you, they don't think about it. Yeah, no, it's all, it's very... Instinctual. Very mechanical and practiced, oh. yeah. Um, the, thing that, the thing that I love about the ending image, the final image of hands, the tethered forming hands across at least, you know, California coastline, is that it, is that it? This is their statement? That they're, they don't have a plan beyond this? That's thing? what I'm saying. They've just risen up to murder everybody and now they're going to stand around? Yeah. What does that mean? What does That's that mean? That's a great mean? image to end on. Um, you know, like it's, it's, it's Planet of the Apes level resonance of just a thing to go out on that is, it looks... I mean, aesthetically really pleasing, but it's incredibly disturbing for reasons you don't fully understand, because what now? And that's why the film has to end where it ends, right? Yeah. Like, all the great horror movies don't continue past their obvious endpoint. There won't be a sequel. What would be the point? It would just be a bunch of people standing still for 90 minutes, and maybe a couple of other untethered people running around trying to fix it. But, yeah, yeah they're escaping to a world that isn't theirs anymore. Um, I know, but it's... 
I mean, our heroes, not the tethered. Yeah, I want to know more. Yeah, it's like um, George R. Romero, like you keep it contained. This thing, this breakout that's happening, it's very seriously affecting our core group of of heroes and people Mm. that we're following, and then ending on okay, so they've they've made it out. They're they're safe. This group of people, but holy crap, there's this big. Yeah, now you have the next. You just have to deal with the next level of world takeover of the of the outbreak. Yeah. The Romero's movies never ended well. No, but uh, do you? Th- they wouldn't make another Us, you don't think? I hope not. I mean, yeah. Where do you take it? No, where, where can you take it? Right, other than a large scale doppelganger. Thing. No, and, and there's no emotional the same, resonance right? there. Yeah, the, the outbreak. And this is and this is the problem with not with Romero's movies, but it's the problem with almost all zombie movies. Is that once it starts, either everybody dies or it becomes The Walking Dead. You get out and you have to keep going. There's, yeah. nowhere, there's nowhere else for the story to... You can never stop the outbreak. These things are always about uh, the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And with us, we're seeing the same thing. It's the end of the world for everybody who thought things were normal, or at least in America. Maybe maybe you do it the way they did 28 weeks later and you mm-hmm. situate it outside the disaster zone and you watch people try to figure out what's going You know. I don't think Canada's had this problem. I don't think Mexico has this problem. What does that mean? Mm, so, a World War Z kind of yeah, but if you, a global but by scale. going macro, you actually remove the horror, which is about this one family. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then the, teth- the none of the tethered can speak. It's just that Adelaide was red, and red is Adelaide. Yeah, that exactly. she's the only one who she has, has some semblance of language. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you do? I mean, I suppose maybe they make it out. This family gets out and then tells be- people. Well, they're survivors, so are they refugees? Are they? Did isolated? they create a refugee camp with yeah. the government? They can't take it's, the story anymore. It's further. too complicated, right? It's, the, and it loses the, all its heart. Yeah, and the only tension would be whether or not Adelaide is exposed, and what that does. But and are there others that way? But there can't because that set right? piece with a vision quest thing was so beautiful and you would wonder that must have happened before mm. um, maybe I mean you could do I suppose you could do a prequel I guess the really ooh, or not even a prequel but a parallel quill very interesting it, I you, love that if you followed the tethered exclusively uh, and watch them set it all up but there's no drama there because we know how it ends yeah I don't know if Jordan Peele is listening to this he's more than welcome to make suggestions yes but I don't I don't there think there should be another one, and neither do I. I don't. Unless think you call the type. it them, in which case it could be great. Yeah, like, to have a, us and them us on and a them. shelf somewhere. Yeah, and sort of get behind that. That could be cool. No, he's not going to. He's going to come out with another one and um, make it so amazing. Yeah, no, I love the original thing. I love the fact that he is telling stories that no one else has told, really. Or with Get Out, where he is playing with the tropes. Uh, he doesn't do that in Us. Us is its own thing. But, mm-hmm. but Get Out is very much a don't go in the room, don't uh-huh. go in the basement, don't go in the house. Why are you still going into things? We just told you not to do that. Yeah. And it's it's great because it still lands, even though it's kind of satirizing 40 years of horror tropes and, and then also all the guests who's coming to dinner stuff. And it's just... It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's playing so with good. its own material. Us is carving out a new direction, which I, I just... I'm so glad he did that. And yeah, I can't wait to see the next thing. I know. That's the best part. That's what I love so much. I love that feeling. I love that feeling when you leave the theater because I'm still that person. I have to go to the theater. I just don't want it to go away. Absolutely. You know, I understand the value of the streaming services. I get it. Sure. But I don't want to ever, ever not be going to the the movies. And uh, I love that feeling when you watch the movie and not only are you like, okay, that was amazing. 
you're like, what is he going to come up with next? Yeah. I want him to have his toy box and play with it for as long as he wants to. The idea of every couple of years, we're going to get another one. Two two for two so far. Let's see what else happens. I know. You just don't know. I'm going to check out those Twilight Zone episodes, though. Because now I'm just, like, desperate for another little taste. Yeah. And take a look at Weird City, too. There's some fun stuff in there. Is there? He's not playing the same game with twists and mysteries, but he's just letting his his friend play out his ideas but there's one with um uh oh yvette nicole brown oh and uh, aquafina as uh characters in a tv show who start to figure out that they're characters in a tv show and it's very very clever cool 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 i will check it out i love those actors yeah yeah it's a lot of fun and so it's probably too uh too recent a, a release but i'm gonna force you to answer the question anyway uh is there anything from us that you are going to borrow or steal or, or lift or incorporate into your own work? Is there something you want to use down the line? I would like to, as from an acting perspective, yeah, however you want, because I do I write as well. Um, from an acting perspective, it's definitely the. I know I've said it three times now, but the emotional resonance that Lupita Nyong'o brings because. Some of the roles I play are villains or very, very strong characters. Uh, and remembering to give a character that... And it's so funny, in prepping for this, I had a, an audition last week. Yes. And I literally wrote that in caps across the top because she was a very kind of villainous character. And I thought, she's got to have an emotional resonance here um, and just create that backstory. In, in us, it unravels what her backstory is and why she's so traumatized and doing what she's doing. But even if you get an evil or vile character doing something you don't necessarily agree with, you find that reason to make it emotionally meaningful. So that I would probably take. And then, oh my gosh, from Jordan Peele's perspective, until maybe right at the end, uh, show, don't tell. Yeah. Show, don't tell. Because it gets you on the hook, man. Even that scene you were talking about with all the different movies, it's like you're just looking. You're like, what is what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? But I could not be more uh, obsessed with Lupita Nyong'o. And I mean, come on. She won an Oscar for a film with very little screen time. Yeah. She totally has that ability to just lasso your heart and she's going to hold on to it, taut, for her entire performance. And that's what she did with uh, Red. Yeah. And, and then, Adelaide. I mean, they're both tremendously well Especially conceived. on a rewatch, Norm, when you rewatch like, oh, what wait. she's done with Adelaide and the little lamppost she puts in with what you know now. The mm-hmm. scene at the beach with the Elizabeth Moss character means a lot. Not just the big, big, big scenes like when they're back down below, but just scenes like that. And you see now with those eyes and you're like, <sighs> yes, because yes. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. Okay. And again, to those of you listening, I really hope you've seen us because... <laughs> we have ruined it for at you. At this point, I'm just sorry. Yeah. I actually know we haven't ruined it for you. What no, you know, you true. can still enjoy it if you know what you know. Yeah. Because it's I so much better if you didn't. It's so much better if you didn't. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, anytime. This is great. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, I had yeah. so much fun. Please watch us uh, again. Those of you listening for the second time. Yes. I don't know. And all of the other podcasts about other people's movies. Sure. I love I love listening to it. It's I absolutely love it. Oh, thanks. It's so great to hear someone who knows as much as you do talk to an actor about a movie that they're not in, and then you can just dive <laughs> in and be like a fan, but also see it with your professional eyes. And that's the great thing, too, about re-watching movies that you watched as a kid and re-watching them now. Because now that I've got this experience in the industry you watch, and you have so much more of an appreciation sure, yeah. for the artist and the art that goes into it, all the work that goes into it, and you're just like, damn. This is this is good. <laughs> Sweet.
My thanks to Samora Smallwood, who's off shooting some super secret thing she couldn't even tell me about, but until that's done, you can see her on The Expanse, or Shadowhunters the Mortal Instruments, or the second season finale of Star Trek Discovery. You can find Samora on Twitter at TheRealSamora, all one word, and you can find us in a shiny new Blu-ray and DVD edition from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. But you've already seen it, right? We talked about this. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.